0: You pray with me, Father. We come acknowledging you, the sovereign God of all creation, ruler of all. There isn't anything that isn't under your ultimate control, even those that ignore you, deny you, refuse you, ultimately yield to you, even if they don't know it. And we're keenly aware that the God of all creation is also our Savior. We come this morning to open your word. We ask that you would open our hearts that through your Holy Spirit you would move us and fill us fresh to serve you and to to come alongside the ministries that you would walk us into and and lead us to, that we might glorify your name and minister to those around us. And Lord, most of all, that, that we can just rest with an absolute confidence in your grace and your mercy, knowing that you are our sovereign God, Creator, and Savior. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. Continuing this morning to look at the uh, various gifts that are mentioned in Romans chapter. Uh, 12 verse 8 is one of them is the gift of exhortation and uh, we'll be looking at that uh, throughout the message this morning I'd like to start though before I read the scripture that actually will be in Acts chapter 4 with just speaking about the the man that we're going to be talking about Joseph of Cyprus how many are you familiar with Joseph of Cyprus every now and then there's somebody that raises their hand but it's not the way we normally think of this person. Uh, but he had the gift of exhortation. And the gift of exhortation uh, is, is also the word, uh, is the same word we use for encouragement uh, frequently in the Scripture. In fact, if you go through and look it up as to where this particular word is used, you'll, you'll see one time it's used as the, to comfort, the next time it's to beseech or to implore. Uh, so there's several things that go with it beseech, implore, beg, meaning to come alongside and just really say, you really need to do this. But not in the sense, a lot of people think of exhortation kind of like, you know, and it's not that way in the sense that that, that we want to see it uh, as the gift. It's more of the person who comes along and just implores, begs, and says, you so need this. And and sharing even the gospel in in that kind of a, a, a way Uh, to encourage, and one who is sometimes very intense in their prayer as well, to exhort, to pray uh, for something to to come about. Uh, The word is paraklesis. I'm not a Greek scholar. I I don't make any claim to that. But I found this one interesting. I wanted to use that because you have probably heard the word before, paraklesis or paraclete, as the reference to the Holy Spirit. So you can see the parallel here. Jesus promised the paraclete, the one who would come alongside and comfort. Okay? And so it's from that same base of words. And so uh, this idea to to exhort or to be one of encouragement is to come alongside other people and sometimes groups of people as a person who brings comfort, brings hope, uh, brings encouragement. One who comes alongside. Keep that in your thinking there. And this applies to this man, Joseph of Cyprus. So if you turn to Acts chapter 4 with me, and we'll start with verse 32. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now, where we're picking up in this picture is Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Many were added to the church that day, more have been added. They're meeting together on a regular basis. And, and so, uh, we pick up to, uh, to this place in, 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 you know, uh, in chapter 4, verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed, critical word, believed, believers, those who were resting in, in Christ's salvation, in the gospel at this point, were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own. who was also called the apostles, uh, by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So there's our first mention of Joseph of Cyprus. We know him well as Barnabas. And all of a sudden, you know, it's one of those things like the light bulb goes on. Ah, Barnabas, son of encouragement, and now you realize it's been the the, the 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 part of many many sermons and Bible studies over the years and and centuries uh, because of this particular picture. And, and the idea is this this son of encouragement. It's a nickname. It's not his actual name. Now, there's a lot of of of, of uh, uh, men who have their, their father's name along with their name. For instance, Simon who became Peter. Simon, son of... Uh, uh, it's actually, Simon Barjona. Or Simon, son of John. Okay, so we, we see one use of that. So that was the common use. But here we see it tied to uh, another word that means encouragement. Simon, uh, uh, this idea of Barnabas. Son of Encouragement. And uh, you looked at this and, 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 and I, it made me think about nicknames. It's, you know, me, I have to take rabbit trails wherever they go and, and to think about a nickname. How you get them in the first place. Uh, and I listed a number of things. You know, physical traits, characteristics, sometimes endearment, You know, among family members, terms of endearment of of various kinds. Sometimes just by chance because a name got run together and it said, oh, and it sticks. Uh, Or the abbreviations of people's names. Uh, I have to share one with you. J.D. Wadley was uh, a special man for me in my life. A uh, retired pastor that came out of retirement to help plant a church in Southern California that I got to be a part of for a season, and uh, I just assumed J.D. Everybody called him J.D. And you know, it's one of those things you have you don't you wonder in the back of your head. I wonder what J.D. stands for. That was his name J.D. That was it. <laughs> It was actually spelled out. I don't, I don't remember the exact, like J A Y D E E or something. You know, J D, two names, but it was it wasn't his initials at all. Now my son, Christopher James, he ended up C J. Yeah, sometimes you might call it a term of endearment, I guess. C monster. <laughs> hey, C monster. You know, uh, you know, but uh, the the ideas of uh, go with with names. They come from different, and sometimes they even come out of contempt or just sheer meanness as well. And I'm thinking of all the things that I heard in grade school, and and, and you know, especially little kids. We can little kids can sure be mean, you know, and and they come up with those you know names. But I was just going through a list of, of names that, that followed me. Crystal Ball. Now, you're looking at me and you're wondering how would that be possible? Why would Crystal Ball? Just stay right where you are, Doug. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Now, Doug showed up with a new hairdo today. but, But my dad cut my hair every Saturday morning. Drill Sergeant Marine Corps Boot Camp Buzz. That's what it looked like every Saturday morning. And then we went out and mowed the lawn. If it rained, we didn't mow the lawn, but I still went downstairs to the the garage, sat in the the, the, the old-fashioned stool that has the steps that come out, and got my buzz. I had, you know how most heads are white when they get, I had a tan. But kids would come up to me and go, oh, because I'm short. I was shorter than everybody. Oh, crystal ball. You know how much I love you.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. <you know.
0: laughs> happy good. You know, happy good, you know, and I and people say, "Oh, you're smiling all the time." I'll tell you, I inherited it from my grandfather. His same facial structure. But I I normally say, well, I'm just inherently lazy. It takes less muscles to smile than to frown. Um, Happy Bob, good. Brick. Now, normally you're going to be older if you catch this one. I'm short, and I've been stout all my life. I I have some base physical strength. And basically, I tended to be the bull in the china shop, wherever. I just walked through things and, you know, bumped into them and whatever. And they just said, he's just like a brick outhouse. Brick was that stuff, fortunately. I won't tell you any of the details on this one. Troll. Roberta. Now, Roberto is Spanish for Robert. That's my name. Roberta. Got to remember who my stepdad is. Retired drill sergeant. Master sergeant in the Marines. When he married into the family, he's actually my stepdad. When he married into the family at seven, I'd been raised by my grandmother, my mother, my aunt, and my sister. (laughs) I knew how to sew. I knew how to crochet a doily. I knew how to knit and I knew how to do uh, uh, uh embroidery on like you know for the neat little things that you did on towels and stuff like that for the kitchen and i and those were the kinds of things I did for Christmas gifts and stuff like that. My dad felt that that was not masculine. <laughs> And uh, Roberta became my nickname anytime he thought I was doing something a little bit too girlish. I often wonder how come my sister didn't get a tomboy name of some kind because she was a tomboy all the time. But anyway, uh, so names that come and go. And they stick in certain parts of the family. Overall, my nickname is Bobby. Robert turns to Bob turns to Bobby. When you're a little kid, especially in my family, because there's several Roberts and James, the Jims, uh, Bobby. And whenever you go into a part of my family, whenever there's a get-together, my kids don't have a clue as to who they're talking about because they're always saying, and Bobby did this, and Bobby did that. And I'm so thankful that they don't know who they're talking about. <laughs> Persons with the nickname Red... What would be your assumption? Normally, red hair, Tex. From Texas or a cowboy type, possibly. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, just different things that that come together. The places you pick up your nicknames, again, would be home and family, school, friends, enemies even, sports, work. Uh, and somebody decided, to, along with this idea of, of of Barnabas, was, you know, what other... Names that, you know, can come up. And he made an interesting list. Bar whiner. (laughs) Bar complainer. Bar mercy. I thought, oh, that would be a nice one to have. Uh, Bar generous. Bar servant. Bar encouragement. I.e. Barnabas. And I thought, from the church perspective, and everybody could sit back and, and think about, you know, some nickname that you might pass on to someone if you were thinking about it from a point of endearment and encouragement. uh, Or even what might be something that you would even consider your own nickname. But today we're here to look at Joseph of Cyprus and his, a.k.a., if you will, Barnabas. Son of encouragement. First mention, I've already gone through, chapter 4 of Acts. Uh, What we get out of that is... uh, in this, he was in the very beginnings of the church. Uh, some traditions that have to do with his name would have nothing to do with scriptures uh, say that he was actually one of the, the 70 that went out. Uh, when Christ sent the disciples out, he sent 70 out uh, to go and, and do ministry. That we don't know, but it's just the implication is that he was very key very early in the church. And we see that here in chapter 4 of the book of Acts. Um, we know that he's Jewish. He's from the tribe of Levite. He's from Cyprus. He's apparently, it would appear that there's a, he's a generous person. He sold a lot, brought all the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet for the use of, of, of the, the church. And again, his nickname, Barnabas, son of encouragement. He's obviously got a gift of lifting people up. Next time we see him, we find him in, again, the book of Acts, chapter 9. Looking uh, here at uh, the time in the church, uh, Stephen has been... uh, and executed back in chapter seven and uh, chapter six and seven about Stephen uh, the the uh, the first martyr in the church. Chapter eight mentions about uh, Paul, actually then Saul, who stood by and watched his execution, and said that he held the coats and agreed with what was going on. And then we know the story of Paul comes out of this in, in, in chapters you know eight and nine is is. Paul goes after the church. And because of that, the church scatters. And Paul then has his experience, his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. And we won't go into detail about that, but his conversion experience was dramatic. And immediately Paul started teaching and and sharing Christ in Damascus with the Jews, they, they were, uh, the, the Christians, the Jews had become Christians. They were terrified of him for obvious reasons. And uh, he had to leave secretly from there. And then he, So he went to Jerusalem briefly. And that's kind of where we pick up in, in, in Acts chapter 9 uh, with the, the story where Barnabas comes back into the picture here. Uh, starting with verse 26. And when he, Saul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. Again, for obvious reasons. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. They probably did what anybody would assume. He's trying to do what? Deceive us, sneak in, find out about us, and turn us in. But Barnabas took him, Paul, or Saul, and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly. Now Paul gets to do this. You know. he, he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, one particular group of, of uh, Greek-speaking Jews, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers heard this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. Why? Because Paul was out of the picture. And he went back to his hometown, Tarsus, and, what, and the church was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The reason why I just shared that was uh, I want you to get this one picture. Paul is... is, is an outcast no matter where he goes at this point. He's an outcast among the Jews who are not Christians because he's now one of them, the Christians, and he's, and he's, and he's proclaiming it. He's outcast with the Christians because of his persecution of, the, of, of them. And uh, we're talking unto the point of prison and or death. It was no small thing. And he he'd really went after them. And he had this reputation very clearly. This zealousness to put Christians away, into jail, to punish them for heresy, is the way he would look at it. But Barnabas sees something in Paul that apparently nobody else can see because of their fear. And because of his nature and this gift of encouragement, he looks at it and says, "It's almost as if you're reading between the lines. He 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 he's, he could see from his heart. We'll see. We're we'll reading later even that. Uh, he just he, he could see something in Paul that, that was worth tapping into. So he comes alongside. Barnabas has got enough." clout and reputation apparently in the church that once he comes alongside and says wait a minute here is testimony look at what happened to him that as, the, as Barnabas comes alongside they're saying okay we'll listen to it not everybody liked it and some of them decided that even at this point we don't like it we don't like Paul and we're going to kill him and they snuck him out of town again basically sent him back home to Tarsus So we see two aspects now. He's you know, A couple of mentions of him. Uh, this Joseph Levite of Cyprus. He's a man of encouragement. He's generous. And he's willing to take a stand even where nobody else is on behalf of somebody. And take the heat too. That's a, I started thinking, and there's another point he does this, but I started thinking in my lifetime, I want you to do the same thing. How many times somebody has stood in the gap for you? Other than, you know, certainly Christ first and foremost. But as far as people go, people who have stood in the gap for you. And I started to make a list, and, and, and the more I thought about it, the bigger the list got, because uh, you know, I, I just hadn't thought about it. I even thought of Mr. Overeem my 8th grade shop teacher. And he went to bat for me when nobody else did. And I'll never forget it. I won't ever forget the fact that I also let him down after the fact. But years later, he still said, he he could see there was something worth salvaging when other people were saying, I don't want him in my class. Barnabas is just uh, seems to be be a guy that maybe has a big heart along with everything else. Well, son of encouragement, what would you expect? You know. We see him mentioned again in Acts chapter eleven, and in Acts chapter eleven, uh, you've got to understand, and and uh, we, when. When Stephen was, was killed, the church scattered and, and people went all over the place. And new churches started up as a result all over the place, which really was part of God's plan. He'd said, go to Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and to the outer parts of the world. And they seemed to be camped in Judea and not really spreading very fast. And even though it was a tragic circumstance, God who uses everything and wastes nothing, used that circumstance to to cause the church to spread. And it spread to a place called Antioch. And that's where we pick this up. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution, Acts 11.19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen uh, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word uh, to no one except Jews, but... There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who coming to Antioch spoke to the, the Hellenists, in this case, non Greek-speaking uh, non-Jews, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Okay. Now, why would the people in Jerusalem be concerned about this? Well, this is the first time that uh, non-Jewish people formed a church, and it's kind of an ethnic kind of a situation. Well, what's going on? We have got to make sure it's doing right. We, you know, we're going to be—it's okay. We've already gone through our situation with Peter. We know that God's opening the door to Gentiles, but this one we didn't—we didn't foresee. And so they send Barnabas up there just to check it out, make sure everything's okay. And and uh, when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them, encouraged them, exhorted them, pleaded with them, all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. You see, we're getting more details about Barnabas here, aren't we? And a great many people were added to the Lord. So the church is growing while he's there. And he's at a kind of a wit's end here. He could use a little more help. Some people who understand the scriptures. These people don't have a base like the Jewish church normally, a uh, Christian group would normally have. They, they, they don't have it. So he's, he's looking around, basically, what do I do? Jerusalem is really quite a ways from Antioch. But guess what's fairly close to Antioch? The city of Tarsus. He knows somebody in the city of Tarsus, and he goes there. In fact, that's where we, we you know we, we pick it up in verse twenty five so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. He gets paul paul just you know is the the right person for the job he, you know, and Barnabas, the encourager. Still stands by Paul, you see, and he brings him into a ministry at this point, and it's successful, a year's worth of teaching and, a, and, a, and a, a great influence and an adding to the to the body of Christ. So we have this picture of of what it is, the Son of encouragement. One of the things that I'm beginning to see in him is this picture that comes out of our scripture reading this morning from Isaiah. Oh, something needs to be done here. Here I am, send me. I'm willing to go. He implores, he pleads, he prays, he encourages, he comforts, and the the church grows. And the thing that's interesting is that, that, that caption at the end there. Antioch disciples are the first to be called Christians. And I was trying to think, who you know did was it by the you know Antiochians? You know, looking at oh there go those people that follow Christ. You know, I've heard sermons like that, but it doesn't tell us exactly. Or was it something that they just realized we're we're followers of Christ and they started to use? But the thing that happened that hit me here was. The, the reality of what Jesus had said in John chapter 13, verse 35. They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. They'll know to call you what? Christians by your love for one another. There's something I think that was standing out in the city of Antioch. It has a lot to do with an encourager, a person with the gift of, of exhortation and encouragement that would get people excited about the Lord and realize that part of this is to love one another. And we see that that was something that already was happening in his life. He was simply continuing to demonstrate what was already working in his life for other people. Well, at the end of Acts 11, it says, Now in those days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now, Antioch is north. Yes, I know. We're very trained in our way of looking at everything. We say, you you wouldn't say, oh, I'm going down to Portland or up to San Francisco, (laughs) you know, from where we are here. At least I would not have been allowed to. My grandmother would instantly say, no, you are going, you go north, you're going up, you go south, you're going down. And, you know, the kid in me, that mental picture, that means I get to skateboard down. (laughs) Uh, You know, because it's got to be downhill all the way. Uh, It didn't work that way, but it should have in my mind. Um, But from a Jewish point of view, Jerusalem, the center of the world, everything is down from Jerusalem or up to Jerusalem. So they went down to Antioch. And... uh, uh, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world, primarily looking at this point of the Mediterranean area. This took place in the days of Claudius, and there actually it did happen. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. The, the non-Jewish group you know, church <laughs> was told there's a problem and it's going to really impact the church in the Judea area. I don't know whether they were like the, the, some of the other churches that's mentioned by Paul later on where they looked and just said, well, we have a little extra, but when you add it all together, it's something. However, each one it said purposed in their own Time. They, 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 they made their own decision. Nobody was being coerced and put something into the, to the collective pot, if you will, and sent it with Paul and with Barnabas back to Jerusalem to minister to their needs. Again, I believe a reflection of their teacher. Uh, in this case, Barnabas, uh, you know, he's already shown that he has that same Giving nature. The third mention of, of of Barnabas comes in Acts chapter thirteen through Acts chapter fourteen, and it's the, the where they are set aside. Paul and Barnabas together are set aside to do mission work, starting in Cyprus, and. They go together and and go to travel all over, encouraging and teaching, and in some cases, helping to build congregations. Paul and Barnabas traveling together for a lengthy period of time. Second missionary journey as well. Uh, And then on a just before the third missionary journey that they were to go on, they came to a head. Barnabas and Paul, these guys who were were buddies and friends and had worked across the the Mediterranean all the way around it together, actually got in a major disagreement. And the disagreement happens to be over Barnabas' cousin, a guy by the name of John Mark. See, it happened back in chapter 13 they got part way into the mission work and, and and john and john mark is with them and it appears we have to read between the lines a little bit but by the reaction that we see here it appears that john got homesick and went back home left a hole in the mission team Well, Barnabas and Paul went on and did their work and finished their their team. But when it came time to go again, Barnabas wants to bring John, Mark, along. And Paul's saying, no way. He abandoned us out there in the field. And so John, Mark, went one way. Paul and Silas got together and went another Doubled the expanse of what they could do ministry-wise. Unfortunate situation. But we know that they ultimately made up. Scripture doesn't give us the circumstances or the the details of it, but we know from Colossians chapter 4 that uh, Paul actually says in verse 10, If Barnaby's cousin Mark comes, welcome him. That's a pretty good indicator that peace was achieved. In second Timothy chapter 4 verse 11 it says Mark is called by Paul profitable for my ministry. And in Philemon verse 24 Mark among the list was listed among the list of fellow laborers with Paul. So we see that whatever it was they got over it. Rapid run here this morning, but Scripture does give us a pretty clear look at a man with the gift of exhortation or encouragement. Quick review. He's a generous man. He's a guy who's willing to go to be sent. He's a second chance guy. He's the the, the one that comes along and says, we'll give it another go. We'll give it another try. He came alongside Paul. He came alongside Mark even in both cases, I'm sure, with, with 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 a lot of pressure to do otherwise. And he stood by it. And I think, as I look at that, you know, you know, how how what was going on in his thinking? We know he's second chance giver, full he's known as one who's full of the Holy Spirit. He obviously has a compassion and a love for the Lord and the people of God. And the work of God. And we're never told actually what he saw in Paul or Mark. But I'm trying to, you know, read as best I can between the lines. And I'll just show you, share with you my thing. He looked at them, and because he's got the Holy Spirit working in him, he's compassionate, he's the the son of encouragement. He looked at them with father's eyes. And you can take that both ways. father's eyes and a father's eyes. You know, he just, he looked at them, and like a father would see, there's something still in there. And he came alongside, as the Holy Spirit comes alongside all of us to make a difference. In, some, in what we are and what we do and who we and how we grow in Christ. That's what an encourager does. He helps us grow. Comes alongside, encourages. He may be a teacher, he may not. He may be uh, have other gifts, but it's coupled with this compassion and passion both. And the whole church benefits, not just a few. The whole church benefits. Whenever we use our gifts, I don't care who you are and what your gift is, whenever you use it, the whole church benefits. And as we look at it, and I mean, the, when it works right and it's going right, it's, it's, it brings glory to God. I believe it's an eternal benefit. I mean, it, it, it works in such a way. And I'm just thinking now, we set Barnabas aside because he definitely had impact <laughs> through his ministry. I mean... He comes alongside Paul in a very difficult situation. Paul ends up writing all the epistles in the New Testament. All those letters that Paul wrote explaining how to live for Christ in different circumstances and situations. Inspired by God, God breathed through him. And I believe part of that picture, though, was, starts with, with Barnabas coming alongside and putting confidence and hope in him when everybody else was ready to throw him to the lions. The same thing with Mark. Think about it. Contribution and future missions where Noah is, was, was done, and the Gospel of Mark. All because one man came alongside and expressed his gift in serving God. People have heard stories, story about how Moody, shoe salesman, timid teacher comes in and witnesses, leads Moody, the Lord Moody leads thousands um, and a tremendous ministry. There's a story, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. This goes back years uh, King Richard III in the 1485 time. Uh, but it's called, the, the story was called For Want of a Nail. And actually, is a phrase through it that gets picked up in Shakespearean literature uh, For Want of a Horse. You know, I won't go into all the detail there, but, uh, and this is adapted from, from a writing by, you know, an explanation by James Baldwin. Uh, so I'll just read it to you as an article. This famous legend and rhyme are based on the demise of England's King Richard III, whose defeat at the Battle of Bosworth Field in 1485 has been immortalized by Shakespeare's famous line, A horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse. The story is a, neat, uh, is a nice foil for King Alfred and the Cakes. It reminds us that little duties neglected bring great downfalls. What would that mean then in, in verse? Little duties taken care of could mean great results. Just keep that in mind. King Richard III was preparing for the fight of his life. An army led by Henry, Earl of Richmond, was marching against him. The contest would determine who would rule England. The morning of the battle, Richard sent a groom to make sure his favorite horse was ready. Shoe him quickly, the groom told the blacksmith. The king wishes to ride at the head of his troops. You'll have to wait, the blacksmith answered. I've shooed the king's whole army the last few days and now I've got to go and get some more iron. I can't wait, the groom shouted impatiently. The king's enemies are advancing right now and we must meet them on the field. Make do with what you have. So the blacksmith bent to to his task. From a bar of iron, he made four horseshoes. He hammered and shaped and fitted them to the horse's feet. And then he began to nail them on. But after he had fastened three shoes, he found he did not have enough nails for the fourth. Not that he couldn't attach it, but he just didn't have enough nails to do the job. I need one or two more nails, he said, and it will take some time to hammer them out. And I told you I can't wait, the group said impatiently. I hear the trumpets now. Count, can't you just use what you've got? I can put the shoe on, but it won't be as secure as the others. Well, then just nail it on, the groom cried. And hurry, or King Richard will be angry with us both. The armies clashed, and Richard was in the thick of battle. He rode up and down the field, cheering his men and fighting his foes. Press forward, press forward, he yelled, urging his troops toward Henry's lines. Far away at the other side of the field, he saw some of his men falling back. If others saw them, they too might retreat. So Richard spurred his horse and galloped toward the broken line, calling on his soldiers to turn and fight. He was barely halfway across the field when one of the horse's shoes flew off. The horse stumbled and fell, and Richard was thrown to the ground. Before the king could grab at the reins, the frightened animal rose and galloped away. Richard looked around him. He saw that his soldiers were turning and running, and Henry's troops were closing around him. He waved his sword in the air. A horse, he shouted. A horse, my kingdom for a horse. But there was no horse for him. His army had fallen to pieces and his troops were busy trying to save themselves. A moment later, Henry's soldiers were upon Richard and the battle was over. And since that time, people have said, and this is the, the, the rhyme, for want of a nail, a shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, a horse was lost. For want of a horse, a battle was lost. For want of a battle, a kingdom was lost and all for the want of a horseshoe nail. I've used that story in object lessons with kids over the years, over and over and over again. The little things that we do can be so, so important. I want to encourage you as we've been going through this study on the gifts, God's not necessarily going to use every one of us like He used Barnabas. But He will use every one of us who says, whatever it is you need me to do, Lord, send me. Use me. He will use you, and he will, give you, he will show you your gift, and we'll go through more of that at some other point, but he will even show you your gift and show you what it is you need. And the one thing I know is that God will always equip us to do whatever he calls us for. Period. that send me attitude that Isaiah had, I think even something that Barnabas has is something that we learn obviously through the Holy Spirit in us. In Christ, we see it. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. In other words, send me. He knew He was the only one that in this case the nails would fit for the job. And He gave Himself. Nobody took it from Him. He gave His life for us. As we come to communion this morning, maybe all of us having that opportunity not only to, to think in terms of Lord Clean my heart, creating me a clean heart of the things that go with communion traditionally. But also, Lord, build in me that willingness to say yes to your call. Whatever it is you would have me do. And I ask the ushers to uh, pass the communion out. Hold it until we've all been served and we'll share together.
1: What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul, to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. When I was sinking down, sinking down, seeking down, when I was seeking down, seeking down. When I was seeking down beneath God's righteous frown, Christ laid aside His crown for my soul, for my soul. Christ the aside his crown for my soul. To God and to the Lamb I will sing. I will sing. To God and to the Lamb I will sing. To God and to the Lamb the great I am. While millions join the theme, I will sing, I will sing. While millions join the theme, death i free I'll sing on I'll sing on and when from death I'm free I'll sing on and when from death I'm free I'll sing in joyful be. and through eternity I'll sing on I'll sing on to eternity, I'll sing
0: on. When I first came to the Lord and then a few years went by and then went into Bible College and on into the ministry, I uh, started doing some ministry within the framework of my family, uh, weddings and funerals. And the uh, first couple of weddings I did, my uncle approached my, my stepdad and it was as if he would, were to say, you know, I don't see what God sees in this, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> he knew me and he knew my reputation. And he asked my, my dad, he says, is this legal? He was dead serious. Second wedding, he says, I don't get it. What's Bob getting out of it? It wasn't until my dad's funeral that my uncle came up to me and he said, oh, it's real in you, isn't it? And that was several years it took. Do You realize at all that time, though, you see, Christ through the Holy Spirit, the great comforter, came alongside And as I started to change and be influenced by other encouragers and now, gosh, so many people God led into my life that helped Kathy and I in our walk. And there was just this change going on. And it's still going on. And it will go on until He comes. And then we'll see face to face. All because Jesus did what He said He would do before the foundation of the world. He came in the flesh. And he stood before the disciples on the night that he was betrayed, and he said, This is this this bread. After he had given thanks and he had broken it, he passed it out to the disciples. He said, This bread is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this, do it in remembrance of me, is what he told them. At the end of the meal, he took the cup of wine, lifted it up before them, said this is the blood poured out to purchase the covenant. Referring to that covenant of grace. His blood would be poured out the next day. He would die to purchase our lives. Death through Christ conquering death for us. He asked us as often as we would do this, we would do it in remembrance of him until he comes again. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to come to Your table. Just the reality that we are invited is an amazing thing. But we realize that we only come through Your blood, through Your grace, through Your mercy. But because as we rest in You, as we rest confident in our faith in You and what You have done for us, as we confess You as our Savior, both verbally and outwards and in our hearts, we realize that indeed we are yours. And to have that confidence gives us the ability to rejoice every day in this life, no matter what the circumstances are. Because we join Paul in what he says. To live as Christ. To die as gain. We win no matter what. Thank you for your mercy, your love, your grace. Cause us to go anxious to share that with someone else. In Jesus' name.